Good afternoon, everyone. Mr. King a while ago panicked. He said, Mario is not here. And I said, well, he, I said, I think I have his substitute, Dr. Meredith, lowered the standards for me this afternoon. So he put all this paraphernalia on me, and, and he said, you're all hooked up. So it reminded me of that song, Elvis Presley, I'm All Shook Up. So when I was asked to give this sermon, this call me this morning, I was, I was all shook up. Now, Mr. Meredith has given me some good pointers uh, about this sermon. He says, what you need to do is uh, I'm going to recommend a book that you need to read before you give the next sermon. I said, what book is that? He said, the Bible. <laughs> well, I told him not to worry at all because I had Mario's notes. And they're all in Spanish. So I may have to ask somebody to come up here and interpret that for me in Spanish. But also, I, I didn't worry about the notes. I have some old notes I always keep on hand. Some of them 4,000 years old. Some of them 2,000 years old. So you're always ready if you just read the Bible, as Dr. Meredith encouraged me to read the Bible. So I thought that was good advice. Now, last week, uh, Mr. Ames mentioned about this person unique calling ahead. Now, this really happened to two people in Chicago when I was there in Chicago. And if you've ever been to Chicago, you know it's a windy city. So this guy was walking down the street, and he saw this magazine coming at him end over end like that. It was picking up speed as it got to him. He tried to get out of the way, and the old magazine took a cut and landed right there on his foot. He tried to shake it off. He couldn't. Reached down and picked it up. You know what it was? It's plain truth. <laughs> he started reading the plain truth, and of course he came on into the church. Another calling was this guy who was drunk, and he knew he couldn't make it home, so he climbed up in this barn loft. And then when he woke up the next morning, he saw all these magazines around him, and all plain truths. He started reading the plain truths, and he couldn't put them down. So. It's amazing how God, you know, how He does call us and how we understand when you receive the calling is something you can't put down. I know back in 1960, April, when my wife and I, when I was first heard the radio from Mr. Armstrong, it just seemed like something jumped out right into my mind, and I couldn't get away from it. You know, I just searched and searched and searched and searched and searched, and that old cheap radio... I finally found him again, and every time he'd get good in the prophecy, my radio would quit. And I'd start cussing it. <laughs> and fi finally I threw that thing against the wall, and I went out and bought a new radio, and I realized I shouldn't have been doing that all alone. But Now, we, had, um, we appreciated uh, uh, all of you coming down last Sabbath for the baptism, and I know the Brian did, and the parents Appreciated that as well. And I asked Brian this morning, he said, you predicted three days that I would lose the glow. He said, it happened to me in two days. I said, that's usually the way it works. It's amazing when you're first called or you're baptized and you receive God's Spirit, you wonder, well, did I really repent? Do I have God's Spirit? You know, you've been getting all, ask all these questions. And why is everybody against me? Nobody's friended to me anymore. They all have the cliques. So you begin to ask those questions, and finally you mature, and you, get ready, you start making yourself available for the other people as well. So it is good to see the church growing. We do have a lot of people coming in. A lot of people are interested in the church. 
And Dr. Meredith has commissioned, as he mentioned not long ago, for us to find a new place. We submitted the papers to the county, and you might pray about that for the school they have here. It's very nice, nice auditorium, holds about five or 600 people, so we have a lot of room to grow in that area. And we can all be, at, be together. Now, if we have AM and PM, and I know Dr. Meredith understands this, and I think I mentioned that, we still have a plan because if we start growing, in AM and PM, and we over, you know, we're in the same situation again. So it's better until they find a building or something. If we could, you know, if we could find a, a place for all of us to meet, and I think all of us would like to meet together as well, especially that good cooking. You know, it's been my experience with schools. Once you get in, it's the janitor that controls everything, and if he, if he likes you well enough, you can get the gymnasium, you can get the cafeteria. All you have to do is give him a little tip and, you know, a little tip, and, and he'll do anything for you as well. Now, where we live out in Ontario, every street is named either after a horse or a racetrack. And so uh, I walk, I try to walk about three or four mornings a week, and as I start home, there's a sign that says, Final Stretch. And I think we all understand what that means, the final stretch. You know, the horses, uh, they come at the gate, the gate swings open, and they start, start their race. And they jockey for position, the jockey does, see who can get the inside or the outside and whatever. Then finally, you see, they come what you call to the final stretch. And the announcer will always say, here they come. You know, here they come. And so everybody starts applauding and screaming and whistling and carrying on like that until, until the finish. But you see, they, are, they, are, they pace until they come to that final stretch is when they go all out. So my question to all of us, are we in our final stretch? You know, Mr. Meredith encourages us all the time to keep, keep it going, you know, keep, keep the momentum going. The growth is there. Are we in our final stretch? Are we about to pass our final exam? You see, Christ had to pass his final exam on the cross. That was his final trial and test. And he passed that, that final exam. And we don't know what ours may be yet. And sometimes we're not ready for that exam. And we have to prepare ourselves to be ready for that exam. So... That final stretch also, we can say, about the four horsemen of Revelation. Are they in their final stretch as well? Now, God has been gracious to all of us. He's given us knowledge. We can escape all of these problems that are coming. We have people who teach every Sabbath on the telecast, write articles, Mr. Arms, uh, Mr. Meredith and them do, about how that we can escape all of these things. If we'll just take the knowledge, if we'll just listen... We have to put it into practice. You have to have knowledge to solve problems. You can't solve a problem without knowledge, and it takes that to solve a problem. So we've been given this advanced knowledge that nobody else has except us, God's people, who have been called all around the world. So the warning sound has gone out. The trumpet is sounding, you know, and we have to be ready for that sound. Now, all of us here should have counted the cost. We know what, what it could cost us. 
in that final stretch. And we've counted the cost. Now, baptism, we probably didn't pay too much attention to what was being said. But sometimes we get into that situation and we panic. We don't know what to do. But I remember, you probably read this, remember it just came out uh, about three weeks ago, an article written by Dr. Meredith's editorial. Do you look to God? So you just look to God. Those three precious words, just look to God. And when we're in a situation that a lot of us are going to be in, we have to look to God. We have to know God is there, that God is the one who delivers us. It's God the one that gives us knowledge and understanding of His plan. And so we have counted the cost. And brethren, if we are in that final stretch of Revelation chapter, you know, what he talks about, the four horsemen, we know it will be intensified. And we're all racing toward our goal. And everyone here can win. God did not call one loser. The only loser will be the person who quits. And a quitter never wins, and a winner never quits, you see. So we have to keep running toward our goal until it's finished, until God said, you know, that's enough. Now, not long ago up in um, Statesville, I did ask the question about what did the men and women of old have? The men who suffered, who gave their lives, who beaten, starved to death, or not starved, you know, sawn in two, what did they have that we so desperately need in our day and time for our final stretch? What did they have? What kept them going? See, what kept all that going? What kept Noah going in building the ark? He could have gotten tired. He could have quit. You know, is it ever going to rain? And not only that, but after he finished building the ark, he had to go in and wait seven days. See? Now, all you could hear there is probably animals, dogs barking, chickens crowing, roosters crowing, cackling, you name it. And that's what he had to put up with. And yet, that was a test. That was a test for him, whether or not... He would do it. He was given a job to do, and he finished the job. And that is the key. If we finish the job that God has given us to do, then we will be in his family. He guarantees that, and we have God's word on that. So the men and women of old, I believe, is what kept them going. They had a deep personal relationship with God. They had a one-on-one relationship. They understood who God was. God was their friend. God encouraged them, you see. They prayed to God. They knew they had a mission to fulfill. And they knew they would suffer in fulfilling that mission. And God encouraged them. And God gave them what they needed. And so that one-on-one relationship doesn't depend on the church. It doesn't depend on any organization. It depends on you and God. Now, He's called us individually to do this work collectively, the mission that God has given us to do. And he's called us to do that. And I believe the second part is they knew after they had finished their work what God had given them to do that they would be in God's kingdom. They had a personal assurance that they would be in the kingdom of God. And I think all of us need to ask ourselves, do we have that same assurance? If we do, we shouldn't worry about anything. The same assurance that God has promised us, if we finish the job that He's given us to do as a church, then we will be in God's family and live with Him forever and ever. So, Jesus is the one who made all the promises in the Old Testament to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and down through. He's the one who came as the Savior. 
He qualified as Savior. He qualified to be the head of the church, you see. He qualified to be our high priest. It wasn't handed to him. He qualified. He earned that position as we turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and you can see how he did earn that. In Hebrews chapter 5, in verse 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard why? Because of his godly fear. He had to pass the test. See, he had to do it. He knew he had to do it. He, I'm sure he was reminded every day that he had to fulfill Scripture. I'm sure he was reminded every day that he'd be rejected. I'm sure he knew that. And he cried and he begged and he pleaded that he could fulfill his job. And we see that with tears. Our Savior, the one who loves us and one who died for us, if he did that, then you see sometimes, brethren, I'm sure we do the same thing. Some, I have. I've cried and begged and pleaded and, and asked and tried to overcome and do all of those things in private. You don't do it every time. But there's a time you have this godly fear, godly respect, that only God can help you. Nobody else can help you. God is the one you turn to. As, as the article said, you know, just look to God. Just look to God, and God is the one who's the source of everything. He has all power. Nothing's impossible with Him. God cannot lie. Whatever He's promised us, that's what He said He would do. He cannot lie, and He, he has never lied. So after verse 9, And having been perfected, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. See, If we're to become priests and kings, we have to learn to be merciful. We have to learn to forgive we have to learn to cover sin like Jesus did, you see, if we're in that learning stage so that we can step into our role after our mission is filled. And sometimes, brethren, when somebody mistreats us, and you know, it's best to pray for that individual and ask God to forgive them. Learn to be a priest. Learn to forgive, you see. And that's why that sometimes we go through this test. And, uh, and so Jesus then suffered. He learned obedience through suffering. And the more we suffer for righteousness' sake, the more we learn to be obedient to God. We learn patience. We learn to be wait. We learn to wait on God, as, uh, you know, as the Bible says. <clears throat> so, and having been perfected, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Paul was writing to a church had almost gone to sleep who were in their final lap or their final stretch but right before the tribulation at that time. He couldn't wake them up. They had heard it over and over and over and over again. See, over again, over and over and over again. And they were dull of hearing. He said, you should be teachers. However, you should be mature. And I remember in Pasadena, and uh, I know Dr. Meredith and them heard as well. Every time Mr. Armstrong started talking about the two trees. Oh, no, not two trees again. Not those two trees. Well, they never did learn. See? 
Never to learn about the two trees. If they'd have learned about the two trees, they'd be with us today. You have to hear that. Know what they are. And it has to be repeated over and over and over and over. And I asked Dr. Meredith that he send out the tape on the government. That we have to be reminded over and over and over. See, we tend to forget. We forget the one who qualified to be the head of the church is Christ. And we tend to forget that from time to time. And people then want to step in and take Christ's place. See, they want to take his place instead of trusting him or suffering whatever they have to go through. They want to take his place, replace him. And, of course, when that happens, you know, everybody gets into trouble uh, in those situations. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, you know, when I'm counseling people of baptism, I point this out. I say, no, it's going to be tough. You're going to suffer. You'll feel what it's like to be rejected. You go through all these trials that Christ went through. And we learn to be like Him. See, we learn by being like Christ in, in these situations. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently... This is commendable before God. And I've been on both sides of the fences. My wife always told me when I was first called, your mouth's going to get yourself in trouble. And so when people saw me coming down the street, they'd go the other way. My brothers thought I was absolutely nuts. I had a fault, and I couldn't see it. I wanted to convert them, see. But I didn't understand that. And, of course, that was a fault I had, and I wasn't mature enough to... To handle that as well. but And also, you suffer for righteousness' sake. See? And if you take that patiently, it's to your credit, you're becoming then like Christ, like Jesus Christ. We have to live His lifestyle, not someone else's lifestyle. He creates in us supreme character to become a supreme being. Look what He offers us. A supreme being of the whole universe of this earth, a supreme being over all the angels of God and teaching everybody. We're on the ground floor to teach people when God calls them during a millennium and other all throughout eternity, apparently. So he says, for this cause, for this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in, uh, revile in turn. He said, I'll get even with you. You know, I'm the Savior. You just wait until I get the power. You've had it, see. He never said that at all. He knew that he had to suffer see? as a human being, what it's like to suffer as a human. He had to learn that. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, whose stripes we were healed. He died for my sins, not for his sins. He never sinned. It was my sins that killed him. It was my sins, what I did. And I remember, I'm reminded of that. When I pray at times, I remind him, it was my sins, but you forgave me. 
And now you're my Savior. You're my life. You're my way of life. And I want to learn your way of life so I can teach your way of life. See, if we don't learn the way of life, how could we ever teach it? We have to learn the way of life to teach that way of life. If I'm going to fly a jet plane, I've got to learn how. See, I couldn't teach somebody if I didn't know how. You have to learn to teach God's way of life. And by living that way of life, if we've been admonished, I've been admonished ever since I've known Dr. Meredith. That's what he preaches. You remember him saying, he died, saying repent. <laughs> well, that's, that's what it takes. It takes change. We have to be reminded of that from time to time. And that's why Sabbath service is so important for us, that we can be reminded of our shortcomings, be reminded of those things. That's why we have Passover. We have to be reminded why we're washing feet. We have to be reminded of those things. And that doesn't stop there. We're saying we're going to do that all year long. Wash feet and that attitude all year long, see. Fill in the deed. See, fill in the deed of, of washing feet like Jesus did in that attitude. So we are healed then, and we're forgiven and healed by what he had to go through. Spiritual sins, also our sicknesses. And we have to wait on God. See, we have to wait on him and be patient we learn by suffering. See, when one member suffers, we all suffer. Every one of us suffer when one, one member suffers. But we all learn as a group, as a family, what suffering does to us, that we learn to be patient and kind and loving. And I was teasing Mr. Powell. I said, man, I didn't know you had that many friends. Everybody was hugging, kissing him. I said, well, I think I'm going to get sick. <laughs> But you see, we all suffer for everybody. We suffer, uh, and we want to see the best for our brother in Christ. But, you know, when the mission is over, it's over. See, when it's over, when our job is finished, it's finished. It's like Mr. Armstrong's job is finished. It's like others have finished. All the men and women of old, when they finished their job, they died. You know, and it's appointed until man wants to die. But after that, it's the kingdom that God is called us to be a part of and that's what we look forward to that's what keeps us going is to be in god's family to inherit the earth and everything that god has promised us if we're born into the family of god that's our inheritance that we can rule and live forever where there's no more suffering there's no more pain and there's no more dying and there'll be a funeral there will be a hospital everything would be at peace because god's way will be Practice, And to me, that is worth living for and worth dying for, for that promise that God has promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of us down through, we're all heirs to the same promise, be born into the family of God to inherit, to inherit the earth. As he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you, 1 Peter 3, verse 13, if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope. 
that is in you with meekness and fear and having a good conscience that when they defame your, you as an evildoer, those who reviled your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So it's a matter of just being patient and it'll turn eventually. You began to learn how to forgive and forget and not hold grudges and put the past behind you. See, so get it behind you. We can't live yesterday. It's the past. It's gone. We can't live tomorrow. It's not here. We live today. Today, if you hear his voice, harden out your hearts. So it's no use going back in the past and try to live it. You can't. All it's bad memories and good memories. So we go forward from this day on. Every day we go forward, see, until our job is finished, until it's finished for us, and then we'll have eternal life in God's, uh, in God's family, and we will live with Him forever and ever. In Hebrews chapter 6, you know, Paul said it was through much tribulation, much suffering, do we enter into the kingdom of God. That's something we're all promised, that we're going to suffer as a Christian, see. And we have to expect that, and we have to be ready for it. When, when it comes, we have to be ready for any event may come our way. It's easy to blame somebody else when things don't go right. Remember, we have the power of choice, and nobody can ever take that choice away from you. That's your power. You can't blame anybody but yourself. If things go wrong, it means you might have made the wrong choice. If things go right, you have peace and made the right choice. That's the power of choice that God's given to each individual. That's why we're unique. And only you can make that decision. Nobody else can make it for you. Am I going all away? See, Am I going to quit? Am I going to feel sorry for myself? And all that does is just bring conflict, depression, anger, and sometimes bitterness. See, if we live in the past and we walk out of it, it's easy to blame somebody else when you don't get something, when you think you deserve something. It's easy to blame somebody, and all it does is make you sick. See, just sick. You're trying to live yesterday, and you can't do that at all. And there has been anybody here that's been mistreated somewhere along the time, and I guarantee you, I bet we've mistreated people along the line. I know this one person had this problem, and uh, he was telling me well, all the people who mistreated him. Just name them one by one. <laughs> he got to name them ton by ton. I said, have you ever mistreated anybody? He said, well, I don't think so. Isn't that the usual way it works? Well, I don't think I've mistreated anybody. But, man, these, these people have really mistreated me. And I don't understand that. It's hard to see your own faults. If you were to ask your wife about your faults, you know what would happen? Name them time by time. And you say, honey, do you have any faults? Well, I, I try to be good. See, I don't want to have faults. But we are people who have faults until we're perfect. And I don't think we're perfect yet. And probably in God's kingdom, we will be perfect. In Hebrews chapter 6, in verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints. 
and do minister. You see, we tend to forget sometimes good deeds, but God never forgets. He never, and He's never, He's never going to forget this Philadelphia ear of the church, the remnant of the church. He's never going to forget that. He said, because you've kept my name, have not denied my, have not denied my name, but kept my word, I will keep you. And He can't lie. See, that's our ticket to a place of protection. He cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. So He's promised us that. Uh, if we keep laboring in love for His namesake, what He's given us to do, back up Dr. Meredith and those headquarters, those who are responsible in the, you know, for writing articles, things like that, back them up. God promises us that. See, nobody can ever take that away from you. You have God's Word on it. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Well, what is that hope? Well, the hope for us is the resurrection. And His faith is what takes us to our hope. His faith and patience that get us to our hope. Well, why do we want the resurrection? Well, that's where our inheritance is. That's where our inheritance is. When we are born in the family of God, then we will inherit the earth. Some of us may be over, you know, I don't know what our jobs will be, but God knows what it will be. And we're in training for that. That's why each one is different. God has called each one for a special purpose, for training, for what He has, you know, in the near future for each one. Now, verse uh, 11, I mean verse 12, that you do not become sluggish, you see, that are lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience. You can't have faith without patience. See? When you're suffering, you wait. You build patience. You wait on God for deliverance. You learn see, to wait on God. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. There's no one greater than God. He couldn't swear by anyone else. He swore by himself that he would fulfill those promises that he had made to Abraham. And Abraham understood that. That's what kept him going. It's Abraham. Now, you know what? I'm glad I didn't have to go through that, what he had to go through. And sometimes we read that story, but just think about what he had to do. Move all those cattle. <laughs> Get over here and pitch a tent, go over there, didn't have wells, had to dig a well. He was just in a strange land. See? And you had to be dirty out there, you know. It had to be as horrible in one way. You know, we're so used to air conditioning, bathrooms, and saunas, and you name it, we get spoiled. But there's no way that you could understand what Abraham had to go through. Now, the most difficult part would have been, number one, you have to take your son up there and sacrifice him. Now, that had to be tough. It would be like you. God said, all right, you take your little girl up there, sacrifice. You put yourself in that situation, and you realize that that was tough for him. And not only that, don't you know that would be tough for Sarah? See? How would you mothers feel that way? Waited all those years for a son. Then he had to sacrifice him. But Abraham was sure one thing, that God would resurrect him. We will come back, he said. He was absolutely sure of that. 
that God had made a promise that he was his seed for the physical seed. And he knew then God would keep his promise. But he had to show God that nothing was greater than him. And he's willing to sacrifice that son. And God knew then that Abraham loved him more than anything. More than anything, you see. And he proved if that test, final Sam. You don't read too much about him, you know, later on in life, about his other family and things of that nature. But God was absolutely sure about Abraham. And, uh, and so Abraham was his friend. They ate together. See, they talked. Abraham was not afraid of God. He respected him. See? Now, what if Christ were to come to your house for a week? You know, I like call Mr. So-and-so, I'd like to come over to your house for a week. Well, we would panic. <laughs> we, we, we wouldn't know what to do. Well, what does he eat, you know? Uh, but you see, we would panic like that. But those men and women of old felt comfortable with God as he came down. So he said here, saying, uh, after he said, I can swear by no one greater, and I'll swear by my, on myself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, see, he obtained then the promise. Then receive it, he obtained it. After he patiently endured. So whatever Abraham was promised, he didn't receive it. And we know what he was promised. Now, I tell the Protestants, well, if he was promised heaven, he died and didn't receive it. See? Or anybody else didn't receive it. You know, you read that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, that he, he obtained the promise. There comes a time when God, I believe, is absolutely sure that you have obtained that and just wait for the resurrection to take place. For men swear by the greater an oath or confirmation, verse 16, is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. And that's what we are heirs, to that same promise. And we have to focus on that promise from time to time, not lose sight of that promise. To be born in the family of God, we will inherit the promises that God has promised to all of us. See? And he so and the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirm it by an oath that two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. See, that's something you can't do. And I've heard, God, I've heard people, why does God allow this? Why did God do this? Why does God, why doesn't God intervene, see? And God is the one who knows what we need for the character that we need to be in His family, to live and rule with Him forever and ever, have learned His lifestyle. He allows these things, and we don't understand it as human beings. All we can do is just hold on to His truth and be patient, see, and suffer along the way. Then He says, with verse 19, well, let's, let me read that, that two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope, see, that is set before us, the promised land. And that's what Abraham was looking for, a city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for the God of this world. We serve the God of the world's coming. See, We talk about tomorrow's world. That's our world. We're being prepared for that world, 
Not this world. The world is coming. And God is preparing us for that rulership. He is a God of that world. Satan is God of this world, as, as we know. And so that is our hope. And we need to be mindful of that. I'm sure you think about that as often as well. This hope, we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. See, that hope, what keeps us steady, looking forward, hope, you see. If you have hope, you have life. You have something to hope for. If you ever notice, uh, you're already thinking about the Feast of Tabernacles. And when you think about Feast of Tabernacles, you get all excited. You get that energy. You wonder where that energy comes from. Life, you see. I was talking the other night in a Bible study that uh, I remember this. Uh, I came home from work. I was just about dead, you know, just tired as I could be. And I was on the couch, and I just had on, you know, undershirt like that. And not like you can't see it, but an undershirt and half-dressed. And someone knocked on the door, and I saw it was my district superintendent of the ministry. And you can't believe how much life I had in me. <laughs> you know? And I wondered, where did that life come from? I was so tired I couldn't get one foot above the other. And I know we've all experienced that. And I'm, Pick him up, pick him. Who is that? Come, her. <laughs> but where does that life come from? You see, isn't it amazing how much energy we have inside when we want to use it? See, now we won't use it unless we're forced into certain circumstances, as well. Remember one time we had a minister first visit from him. I, he ate with us, and we didn't have much, you know. And uh, gave him a fork. And he picked up that fork and it started dangling. <laughs> so he said, why don't you go out and get some forks? I said, well, I've been waiting. And now you've given me the incentive to go get my wife some forks. So, Also, he said, why don't you buy her a set of china? I said, I don't think I can afford it. But I didn't say that to him. I went out and bought her a set of china. See, As I started improving... God started blessing. But I still been there with that fork. See? And that old paper plate, if he hadn't forced me or told me, you need to improve. You need a quality of life. And I believe that. See? And I started practicing that quality. And it's amazing where the money comes from. When you begin to live that kind of life, God blesses you. It's like God's work is a quality work. And look how he's blessing the work. See? I don't know why Dr. Merritt doesn't budget for 30%. <laughs> he said, well, I don't have much faith yet. Now I was just teasing there. But you, you see, you have to think big. And Mr. Dr. Merritt is a big thinker. See? He's a big thinker. And so was Mr. Armstrong is a big thinker. I'd rather see a big thinker as a little thinker. See? If I'd have been in charge, I'd be so stingy. You know, wouldn't sleep at night. Wouldn't take a chance on anything. <laughs> so we understand that this hope is what we preach to the world. Hold on. A new world is coming. A new government is coming. We're being trained for that. Just hold on to that, see. Hold on to that hope. And you'll see that God's way works one of these days. And, you know, when they have the same opportunity that we had. 
But these people who died in the faith had those two things. They knew God couldn't lie. They knew after they fulfilled their mission, they'd been God's family. So they're waiting now on the resurrection when that comes. And, and uh, nobody really knows when that, you know, when that might come uh, in that resurrection. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 11, But Christ came as high priest of good things to come, which the greater and more perfect tabernacle is not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, nor with blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered in the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats, of bulls and goats, the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, or works that lead to death? And that's important, brethren. A good conscience, a good, clean conscience. Important to keep that, a sharp conscience from dead works and serving the living God. And God has given us a living work that we're all part of. And all are important in that living work. It gives us life. See, It helps us to have a goal and a work to do. So this conscience, I don't know, sometimes uh, you can almost taste God's Word. See? You can almost taste a feast. The Bible talks about he that tasted Taste it, not like food, but you can tell it. it's pure. And you can also taste evil. You've heard people say that left a bad taste in my mouth. I wish I'd never been around that. It's a bad taste. You can taste it. So, so we taste God's good word. Taste it. See? And it makes us pure. Blessed are the pure. God's word is pure. And the conscience is purged, see, from any evil work or evil thinking if we go to the high priest. And let him purge us for that life that's coming and understanding as he has called us to be a part of. In verse 15, and for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by the means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. And that's, that's the promise. Call to receive the internal inheritance in God's family. That Christ has made that possible for us, you know, to keep his word to Abraham, that all nations through Abraham would be blessed, and they will be blessed. And so this is why that we always need to understand as much as we possibly can and talk about it of the life that's coming. We talk about this present life and the problems that go with it all the time. It, it's, it's, it really is discouraging sometimes to just talk about the present life instead of the life that's coming. Now, when I first came in the church in the 60s, it's amazing how much life people had. I mean, you see people standing around with their Bibles. Now, you do here as well. Don't get me. Standing around with the Bibles, they talk and talk and talk. And number one, you didn't get home to about 9 o'clock. And services started at 9.30 that day. You couldn't run anybody off. They'd love, they were so hungry for God's Word. 
You know, just they were starving for it. And they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And finally you get home about 9 o'clock or whatever. Then you go back the next day 120 miles to social. Then you come back 120 miles. I went to Spokesman Club for three straight years every Wednesday night. Every, you never did graduate. <laughs> I mean, I, it was 120 miles where we drove to Spokesman Club. 120 miles back, it'd get about 3 o'clock. And my wife would be at the door, and I'd have to explain everything. What went on? What went on down there? And I'd be wanting to go to sleep. Oh, you got to tell me. What, you know how wives are. <laughs> and so we would talk, and you'd have to get up early. You'd have to get up early, go to work. But somehow you always had that energy. You didn't feel tired. But it was a three straight years before they ever started saying you can graduate. My first speech in club was a tax speech. Now, can you imagine that? Attack. I got the most valuable trophy. I could attack. <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, you learn. In club, it taught you to respect. It taught who was in charge. That it, 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 You learn so much in the time frame that you're allotted. You know, you had seven minutes. You had that seven minutes to rule your time. If you went over in somebody else's time, then you'd be stealing from them. See? So you learn to be ruled by discipline yourself and understanding what club is all about. And everything God's church has always offered is always beneficial to everybody. You learn from it. So you never get too old to learn in a way. <clears throat> we had one man in there in his 80s who, who attended every Wednesday night. They look forward to it. See? But we have to be careful that we don't grow weary in well-doing. We're never too old to learn, see. Now, I want to just say this. I need a raise. <laughs> but you see, Mr. Meredith never gave in to that handicap. Now, he could have. He could have said, well, you know, I'm useless, and I can't do this anymore, and I can't do that anymore. But he never gave in to it. He's got a sharp mind and a good, good hand, see. Now, the other part, I'm sure, bothers him a little bit, but that's the most important thing is keeping his mind sharp and his hand so he can write and speak God's Word. But see, he could have quit. Now, Mr. Party in this area every morning, and he's only, what, 47? <laughs> every morning, going around meeting everybody, doing his little laps you know, around, the, around the room. And that's in, it's inspiring to see that. We see some of the young people can't even get around, you know, it's so tired. But you have to have that gold. You have to drive yourself, see, in order to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. And that's what I'm talking about, the living church of God. We've got men who are leaders in that field, and they don't quit. And I think they won't quit until they die, see. And that's what it takes. It takes that kind of leadership. And they want us to train young men for that. Also to be responsible. And I tell the young men, I said, look, if you're going to take my job, you've got to fight. You're going to have to be tough if you're going to take my job. I'm not going to give it up without a fight. But I'm willing to surrender if you don't get your feelings hurt. Or get, you know, get mad and what's the use and uh, they won't ever, you know, use me or whatever. It's God that uses us. 
We learn to be patient. Learn to be patient, as the Bible says. So faith and patient, through that, the saints have all secured this victory over death. They had assurance then, when they died, they would live again. Just like us, we will live again if we choose that. See, to push ourselves and do those things that God God wants us to do and God wants us to learn as His sons. Now, Luke chapter 21. Verse 9. No, 19. Verse 19. By your patience, see, possesses your souls. By being patient and being and just wait. You can't control something that's beyond your control. See? You have to wait. Wait on God and let God handle it. He's in charge all the time. God is always in charge. And nobody's going to please everybody. See? You know, no one is that perfect yet. They didn't please Christ. So some decisions are made that's not going to please you or please me. But it's none of our business. Our job is to carry on, to make it work. See? Then we begin to understand. And if we have a problem, we have to be patient until we get the knowledge. Once you get the knowledge, you can solve your problem. You have to be educated in that. And I mentioned not long ago that when I first went to church, I had no idea what church was like, what it was like to be a Christian. I had my own ideas, you know, Protestant, but I had to be taught what it was like to be a Christian. What is a Christian? I had to be taught that. I didn't know. So you have to get rid of your old ideas and habits for the new knowledge to show you how to learn to be a Christian, learn the way of life. It takes knowledge. And we've been given all that knowledge. I mean, I've got shelves of books and articles and magazines and you name it. It's been written on any subject. So you don't have to worry about any subject. There's an answer somewhere that's been written. Sometimes we have to just search and dig it out, and which takes patience, see? Be patient about certain things. Once be in our control, leave it alone. See? And so he so in your patience, you preserve your soul, or your perseverance, or your faithfulness, continuance in my word and doctrine that will preserve your life. And that again is a promise that God has made to each one of us. Now, Galatians chapter 3 goes back to the promise. For as many of... Verse 27... For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs. See, according to the promise. 
That's what being baptized into Christ, not into water, but into Christ, that we become heirs. They we're all of one culture, you see, in Christ. We all have been circumcised in Christ, which makes us really spiritual Jews, if we want to think about it in that point. Uh, when you were circumcised in the heart, they were all one in one way, learning to be one, learning to be of one mind, and that's Christ's mind, see. To get rid of all, God has brought all of us together with different ideas and philosophies and backgrounds, all of us together to make us one. And it takes time to become one. We're all different, you see, but we all have the same God. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all study the same Bible, see, and we can become one, one family. So when one family suffers, we all suffer. You have that love for your family. Now, in the family, you, t you know, my brothers, uh, they were fighters, and uh, I was a coward. <laughs> so they wanted to whip me for not fighting, in a way. But they would always protect me. And they'd fight one minute and hug the next. See, go drink a beer after they fought or whatever. They were family. But they loved each other in their way. And they would fight for each other in their way, just like you love your family, your immediate family. You'd do anything for your family, you see. Now, I know Mr. Rod McNair. I've known him a long, long time, and he was right when he sent his wife out there. <laughs> He's always been that way, as long as I've known him. At least that's what his daddy, his daddy always said. <laughs> But you see, those families, uh, they stay together, they fight together, they love together, and, and all of those things are very important uh, for a family, even though they have your differences and, you know, sometimes your kids um, won't speak to you because you go to that old church and things of that nature, but in the end, they love you. And they, they care for you as a family, and, and God has given us this love that glues us together where we'd be willing to die for each other. We die for the work of God. We suffer. We sacrifice for each other. We're never too tired to help each other, to encourage each other, to have you to laugh. A whole lot better to laugh and cry, isn't it? You know, when you, when you sometimes it's good to cry, but we need to laugh more. We need to enjoy life, what God has given us more. Enjoy it while you have the opportunity in the flesh. And, you know, if there's joy in the presence of angels when one sinner repents, we should be the same way. See somebody change, repent, and give their, hearts to God, their heart to God and uh, encourage that individual and, you know, let that person know that, you know, we're all for that individual. <clears throat> then, uh, then God will bless us for that. Now, Hebrews chapter 3, I mean 13, verse 5, when Jesus said, you know, He would never leave us. He said that also in Matthew 28. He'll never leave you or leave me. Everybody else can leave you, but not Christ. See, And He's, he's made those sure promises to us that, that we will receive and He will never leave us. He'll stay with us. He'll stay with the church of God until the very end. He'll see the work is finished. Nobody can stop it. Nobody can ever stop the work. It's going to be finished. We have God's Word on that. No man is that, uh, that strong to finish, I mean, to stop God's work. 
Now, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, I'm going to quit early today because I want to get some food. You know, all these meetings. <laughs> now, hold your applause. Here Paul had come the last on the home stretch or the final stretch of his life. He knew that. And he had suffered greatly for the sake of Christ. And he knew that. Christ told him how, how that he was going to have to suffer for him. So he was saying here uh, in verse 5 to Timothy, But be you watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knew that he had come to the end of his life, the end of the journey. He'd fulfilled his mission. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. Not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing, all who's been prepared for that. Then he goes on and shows here that how, uh, verse uh, 16, at my, def at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. And his hour of need, see, that hour of trial, that hour of test, he was forsaken. But did he get bitter over that? Oh, no, he didn't at all. He had the mind of Christ. He had finished his mission. He had finished his charge trying to bring the Jews and Gentiles together. That was almost an impossible job. They both hated each other to bring them together. And he did as much as he possibly could. He said, They forsook me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lions. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. See what boldness. He was absolutely sure that He would be in God's kingdom. And I'll tell you, brethren, if, if I were to die right now, and I could, I know my next breath would be in God's kingdom. I am absolutely sure of that. See, And nobody can ever take that away from me because that's what God promised me. And he cannot go back on his promise. Now, I try to live by that word. I try to do all I can in that word. But we have to have that full assurance, see, that we don't have to worry. Am I converted? See, do I have God's spirit? God has given us his word. He can't lie. That will be in the first resurrection when Jesus comes. 